Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise be to Allah, the Lord of the Worlds. Over 100 episodes, almost 40 different ethnic backgrounds, living in almost 30 different countries. In just two seasons, the Niqabi Diaries podcast has brought you the stories of Muslim women across the globe. Women united in sisterhood by their commitment to the Deen of Islam. Welcome to season three of the Naqabi Diaries podcast, where, inshallah, we will continue to bring you the stories of the women behind the veil. The Naqabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host, Samar, and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to another episode of season three of the Naqabi Diaries. Alhamdulillah, today we have a special episode, special in the sense that this is the first episode that we're having, which we're having, we're going to speak to a sister that we've already spoken to previously, and this sister, mashallah, sister Gillian, and she is a revert, an American revert of German descent, and um, we spoke to her actually in season one, I believe she was episode 19, I think, my memory serves me correct. And mashallah, she's um, wanting to come on again to talk about some other issues related to Naqab due to some changes in her life. And also, um, yeah, it was nice talking to her in the first season, actually, because she was one of the first sisters, obviously, for that, um, you know, that I spoke to for the Naqabi Diaries when it was just started out as the podcast. So it's, it's nice to be able to, you know, speak with her again and see how things are going, because we know that, you know, life is up and down and there's so many changes and things you know, can have, um, you know, different effects on um, how we even navigate our journey as niqabis or wearing the hijab in general. So, inshallah, today, um, the sisters, you would like to talk about some of these issues. So, for the listeners who might not have listened to your previous episode, Sister Gillian, could you introduce yourself, reintroduce yourself for us, um, so that, and tell people what you're doing now, basically, let people know who you are, inshallah. Assalamualaikum, sisters. Uh, my name is Jillian. Like she said, I'm from America. I'm from the West Coast originally, but I live now on the East Coast, closer to the Atlantic Ocean, New York side of America, um, due to me getting married, alhamdulillah, and having my firstborn son. And now I just, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Okay, so alhamdulillah, you got a little baby now. And last time when I spoke to you, you was a single lady and mashallah, you, you'd been working as an in, in-home help aide, I think. Is that correct? Yes, it's like an, yes, it's like an unlicensed nurse's assistant that helps the elderly in their personal homes. So alhamdulillah. So, and previously you had mentioned that you had been married before, I think at that time, but you was at that time when I spoke to you, you were single. So, um, you know, in relation to marriage, I know this is one of the issues that you wanted to talk about. Um, what's your what's your experience been as a revert, and especially one who is um, a Naqabi sister, who where, where's the Naqab of her own accord? What's your experience been um, with relation to the Naqab and getting married in America? Well, uh, um, mostly good, but of course some hardship but nothing that you can't get over and taught me so much and led me, alhamdulillah, to a healthy, happy marriage now. But it was a struggle with my first marriage because, again, I was the only Nakabi in the family of his side as well. 
but it after that after my first divorce I found another brother and got married alhamdulillah to a Yemeni brother here in America but then I found out he only wanted me because I was a Maccabi and because he had a wife that he didn't tell me about back in his home country and he admitted that just because I was an American and a Maccabi he married me for that but wasn't planning on taking me seriously as a wife so reverts in America who are Maccabis are just used for their I hate to be crass I apologize but just for sex in a whole out manner and we're not properly cared for or respected by some brothers not all I have to say that it's only some brothers but I've ran into a lot of sisters that have these sort of problems especially when they're more modest and dressed like me so um, this is obviously this is quite a serious issue sister and I'm sure that any sister who's listening now who is a revert can probably identify with some of the things that you've just mentioned there because one thing about being a revert is that we don't come from Muslim families so when it, when we're looking for marriage mm-hmm. we don't have a Muslim family backing us up and we, like not really know what to look for in a person as, as well especially um, and even if we have a wali for example the imam of a masjid or somebody who is respected mm-hmm. in the community you know there's still a lot of the time unfortunately a lot of that diligence that is you know that would be done for example if we were somebody's daughter specifically it's not that it's mm-hmm. not the same as you know obviously if you're just you know you've got the imam of the masjid or somebody that's unrelated to you we don't have that you know that, that amount of care is not given okay so um how did you go about looking for a husband previously and you know what are some of the things that you think now in hindsight if you can reflect what are some of the things that you wish could have been done better on your part as well as um from the side of maybe um, support from the muslim community um it was right during covid so i don't hold any ill will or responsibility toward any of the muslim community because of the times Um, But what I wish I would have done is more self-reflecting before I decided to marry again, but also um, more investigation into the brother on my part. Because as as reverts, like you said, we don't have that support system completely. So I wish I would have been more open-eyed, I guess, the term you could use, to be able to look into him more versus just saying, oh, there's someone who finally wants to marry me and can saying he wants to take care of me, you know, uh, being more diligent, I guess, to make sure that what he spoke to me was going to happen versus just someone telling me what I wanted to hear type of thing. So more investigation into the brothers and not using dating the Muslim marriage apps like Salam or Muzmatch and stuff like that. Because again, in the times now, people are so fake on those to be honest, in my experience, I don't know anybody else's experience, but in my experience, it's a very fake, hyper-sexualized uh, mode to look about marriage. So I wish I would have gone to a masjid and registered there with a Muslim or like through a proper matchmaker or something. Yes, I definitely agree with you. I have similar, well, I, I can't say, I have a similar experience and I can identify that. I think for me, on the flip side, obviously I've I'm been born and raised in the UK. And also I'm, I'm African Caribbean as well. So um, I see what you're saying about the Muslim marriage sites, because the experience that I had when I used to go on them, actually, I used to write that I was a revert. And, you know, being a Niqabi, 
most of the time we don't just put our picture up on the site we keep our picture you know concealed and stuff like that because mm-hmm. we're not trying to show ourselves so what would usually happen I've, when I when I first went on these sites and this is years ago now um, but it was it was wasn't that long after I had been divorced so I had put up a profile on a few of these different marital sites and subhanallah I remember I put reverts and when I did that in the beginning, I was getting so many mm-hmm. messages, so many messages all the time. I was being bombarded, bombarded. And when I would start talking to um, any of the brothers, you know, they didn't mind the fact that I had children or anything like that. But as soon as they found out that I was black, they wasn't interested anymore. Because, and I realized at that time that for them, a revert meant somebody who was white, basically. So that when I when I changed my profile details to actually write that I was African Caribbean, that time I noticed that I was literally getting next to no messages like whatsoever. So that's something that I, I noticed. So I, you know, I think there is this kind of maybe, as you said, a fetishization kind of thing with regards to reverts um, in some communities, at least, you know, people, people often you hear people say that, oh, they want to marry a revert because they think reverts are more practicing or, you know, they make these kinds exactly. of, or even in a hobby being more practicing. Subhanallah. So they'll make these kind of statements, but the reality is when you do get into the marriage, what often happens is that, you know, it's, it's not basically as they said it was going to be kind of thing you know so the, um, this is this is what happens you know people talk about being more practicing but then the reality is when when you get into the marriage especially being a reaper because they're coming if you marry somebody from a muslim background they're bringing their culture their cultural islam to the marriage and i think in mm-hmm. a lot of their minds what they're thinking is that they can tell you what islam is and you should just accept it because you're not from a Muslim background. So I don't know, how was your experience? Like spiritual religious abuse. I see that as a form of abuse, like abusing the religion in order to control the... Yes, basically, yeah. Yes, subhanAllah. So, um, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give to um, Revert sisters, you know, who've had, you know, we've been through this experience now. So what, what are some of the main things you would like to advise sisters in, in that regard? sisters who have gone through similar experiences i would recommend deleting those apps immediately first off and then before seeking marriage again because those apps are i say a form of traumatization for some reverts not all but some i'm getting scared on marriage so stop focusing on getting married and do like an inner jihad of like making yourself better and stuff like that and then maybe go into a masjid or if you have a born Muslim friend asking them to introduce you to brothers or cousins or something in a way where the men are more held accountable in a way since we don't have that support system. Mashallah, definitely. I think that's an important um, important aspect. And definitely it's important, I think, to you know us as reverts in the community to try maybe, um, you know, put some emphasis or even some pressure on our local massages to try to encourage them you know to give more support to reverts or at least have it available because I think sometimes people don't know what options Mm -hmm. are available to them in the Muslim community as well. I agree. There's actually a wonderful sister here in America who's on YouTube 
who um, won an award discussing um, not just reverts, but Muslim women's struggle in modern day America and such in Western worlds, um, finding a good brother in a halal manner, especially if your family's not involved or something like that, and how much of a struggle it is for reverts, especially. It's, it's, a, uh, it's hijabi hybrid is her um, go-to. It, she's amazing. I'd recommend that. She does a series called uh, Marriage Mondays with her husband. And I watched those since it really helps me to um, learn a healthy marriage as well as an Islamic one without abuse or the man being overly uh, authoritarian, if that makes sense. Mashallah. I haven't heard I haven't heard of that before. You said it's called Marriage Mondays. Yes. I will send it to you. Um and maybe you can post it or something and talk to the sister because she's a wonderful sister, just okay. like you, mashallah. Okay, mashallah. <laughs> um so yeah, because I was uh, you mentioned that and I thought immediately actually of um sister Naima B. Roberts because she's actually doing a series at the moment. Um, called um, Secrets of um, Successful Wives or something like that. So she's been talking to sisters who've been married for at least 10 years and, um, you know, getting advice from them about, you know, what it takes to be a successful Muslim wife as well, because we're not perfect as women and we can complain about brothers, but we still need to make sure that we're doing the right things as well, because we have to take personal responsibility, inshallah. Inshallah, I totally agree. That's why I recommend when you've had trouble finding marriage as a reaver or something to take time away from searching and just do an inner cleanse and just focus on your being for a while because that's how I found my healthy happy marriage alhamdulillah now was not through those sites nothing like that and I was focusing on me when I came across them so um, where did you meet your current husband it's funny enough, I actually have been friends on Instagram with his second cousin's wife, who is also a revert, and she had posted, um, I was basically homeless at this, she had posted uh, that she had a serious brother wanting to get married, and I was like, ah, I trust her, I'm not really looking for marriage, but I'll see what it's about, and subhanAllah, she had like 20 other sisters like comment asking for his number and she just decided for some reason to give him my number and then we met in late December 2020 and got married a month later alhamdulillah and we've been married for almost a year and a half alhamdulillah so um I'm gonna just quickly backtrack a little bit because I actually wanted to ask you something else related to the niqab and your previous experience okay. when you when you had been obviously married and then you got divorced and then you got married again and got divorced again how did that um affect you spiritually and was there any points where you felt like oh like what's the point in me wearing the niqab or maybe you felt like giving up the hijab or what did you ever go through that kind of experience because a lot of the time when sisters have um you know, these kind of negative um, experiences with Muslim men, they, it's like they have this kind of, I don't know, rebellion that they, you know, you, like they, if they take it out of the niqab in some way or the hijab, for example. So they'll stop if they're, if they're niqabi, maybe they stop wearing the niqab and if they're hijabi, they stop wearing the hijab. No worries. Um, yeah, could, if you could start that answer again, if you can even remember the question, which I, I remember. No. Okay, if that's okay, if you could just start um, the answer again, inshallah. 
Would you mind repeating the question? I apologize. No problem. No problem. I was basically asking, um, you know, when you went through those experiences, when you went through those experiences of divorce previously, prior to getting married to, you know, your current husband, did that in any way make you feel as a Muslim that you should stop wearing the hijab? Because sometimes I, I find that, you know, it's, it's a, it can be a common thing that when Muslim women have bad experiences with Muslim men, that, um, you know, especially when it's related to obviously um, divorce and this kind of stuff, they kind of have like, I feel like mm. a type of rebellion or I don't know, like, but they maybe decide to stop wearing the niqab or to stop wearing the hijab, you know, and um, yeah, so... Mm. I mean, did you have any did you have any kind of issues with that or did you find that as a conflict in yourself or have you seen you know that as being something you know that you've noticed um, no alhamdulillah um because of why i started wearing the cob and where what and what it means to me i knew that removing it at that point would only make me want to leave islam or something like that so i knew it was my anchor in a way to keep me motivated to practicing Islam. So it drove me further actually. And I started wearing Jobab and Kamar on top of that, on, on top of uh, uh, Niqab instead of uh, wanting to remove it or something. Okay, mashallah, alhamdulillah. That's, that's really good to, um, to hear and encouraging as well. So what kind of things, um, you know, you said you, it helped you to go further with um, into your religion so what kind of things did you do um, as a new divorcee for example when you did get divorced what kind of things did you do to help to increase your iman during those periods I was living on my dad's couch during COVID and trying to find a job and my little brother lived with us so there was a lot of um, verbal like attacks for being lazy and stuff like that so as long as really all I had after each divorce and like losing my mom and stuff. So it was just, it was the only thing I had. So all I could do was go deeper. So I bought books with the little money I had instead of going out to eat and stuff like that. And just focused my 100% of the time, free time on furthering my Islamic knowledge. And then that brought me closer to uh, my modesty journey and my deen. Don't get me wrong, I've still had Dean slips up since then, but it drove it further into my heart, Islam, mm -hmm. and wanting to uh, continue to gain knowledge. Alhamdulillah. So were, were there any specific aspects of Islamic knowledge that you found really helped you? Because, because of the issues uh, with, with that, I got my Islamic rights as a woman, and... Um, so I read a lot, a lot on that and how to properly have a healthy Islamically based marriage. That's where I focus a lot of my knowledge as to where now where I'm happily married, I'm able to look into Islamic history or creed or things like that and able to read ancient texts because of that time where I was so low where all I could do is read. And now I'm able to read much more Islamic complicated stuff than just marriage. So um, yeah, let's move on and talk more about um, um, motherhood. So as now being a new mother, how have you, um, you know, how has your kind of, how is that, what's the practical side of wearing a car basically being a mother and I'm assuming, are you breastfeeding your child as well? 
No, ma'am. I um, that's a funny story. I'll explain because I know breastfeeding versus formula is a big debate. Um, I decided to formula feed my baby because of my mental health. I wanted to go back on medication, and that you know when you're on an airplane and they say put your mask on first before you help others. That's yes. how I viewed it. So I chose, I chose formula. Mm-hmm. So what well, I did while I was, yeah, sorry, sorry carry on. Uh, while I was pregnant, I did unfortunately have a low, and like it, I was pregnant in the heat of summer here, and it is humid as heck. So unfortunately, for about three months, I did re- remove Nakab. Um, but alhamdulillah, right before I gave birth, I decided to put it back on and have it stopped since then. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah. So it was more because of the practical reasons as well. And I can understand that because I think, you know, when you're pregnant, sometimes it's hard enough to breathe as it is sometimes. Alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Exactly. So um, since, since becoming a mother, how have you felt your, um, you know, your modesty has been affected? Or like, you know, what kind of changes have you um, had to like kind of navigate with regards to covering, you know, and these kind of things? It's funny enough, because I don't know if you know what a push present is. <laughs> when you give birth, your husband is supposed to give you a present <laughs> for pushing out his air. So I asked for a new Islamic wardrobe. So I actually was able to buy nicer jobs and stuff like that. So it helped motivate me more to cover. And now, inshallah, I have a goal that by the time I have daughters to wear gloves as well, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. So you said that's called a push pregnancy? Push present. It's called a push present. Like you can ask him for a ring or jewelry or something oh, like right. that. Okay, okay, mashallah. Mashallah. Is that um is that an like a what kind of what culture is that from? I don't know. I it's not something my I was raised with or nothing like that. I just saw it on TV and thought it was funny and asked my husband for it. Right, okay, mashallah, mashallah. Alhamdulillah, that's that's nice. So you managed to get a new Islamic wardrobe, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, yes. Oh, that's pee. So since since uh, since being a mother, like what kind of what kind of experiences have you had with the niqab that you know that you feel is worthy of mention? It's funny enough. Um, obviously, if you follow me on social media, I don't post my face, but it's pretty plain that I am Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And my my son's first uh, pediatrician appointment. Mind you, he was a NICU baby for a couple of days, so it was a more heightened. I was already nervous about meeting this lady, and um, the first word she said to me, because every COVID, everyone's wearing masks, she asked me if I spoke English. Like, and I'm not the type to get offended, but my nipple was completely down, and I have blue eyes. Yeah. So it that kind of offended, but I think she wasn't doing it malicious. She didn't know. It's just going to be respectful type of thing. But it was it was a funny, funny thing. Subhanallah. So even though you she could see your face, she asked you if she could speak English. Mm-hmm. That was the first word she ever said to me. Wow. Nothing else. She walked in the door and said, "Do you speak English?" Wow. Which is funny. That, but that is very and my Subhanallah. And my husband was sitting right next to me, and he obviously is Arab. 
<laughs> she looked at me and asked me that. So that's what made me like, hmm, think. Subhanallah, that, that is rude because I mean, you don't greet somebody like that. She, if she walked into the room and said hello first and waited for you to reply, then, you know, then she would have known maybe at least or had some kind of hint as to whether you could speak English or not. Exactly. Wow. So exactly. And, and stereo, stereotyping as well, subhanallah. Exactly. And we won't accept um, help from the government financially or like there's a program here for babies to help pay for formula called WIC. But because my husband's going through immigration, he doesn't want to accept the help because we can't afford formula, alhamdulillah. But the doctors push it since we're low income. And she called my husband illegal. She thought my husband was an illegal immigrant. And that's why we didn't want to accept the help. And she said that called them illegal the last appointment so I'll be changing doctors no less but it's just interesting I've never experienced that form of discrimination or whatever it's called I'm not even sure what it is as a Muslim and I lived in a Republican very Islamic phobic area before I moved here and never experienced that subhanAllah Wow. So, so it, it, this experience that um, you had, do you, has your husband experienced this kind of prejudice as well before being married to you? Um, I'm not sure. He is a Palestinian and he grew up in Jordan. Right. And he's the only one of his family here in America. So okay. I don't think, I don't know if he has here in America, but I'm sure he has in other places. Mm. But, you know, Palestinians are more light skinned and he looks, he could pass for a Latino man. Mm. So I think that's probably why he hasn't had Muslim-based discrimination. Okay, okay, yes. Yeah, that would that would make sense as well. I think that happens a lot with, um, at least from the little that I know, I'm not, obviously I'm not American, but from the little that I've seen, I, I've, I've heard, well, and I've heard as well a lot of the time, p people who are, you know, of um, Arab descent or Arab in general, um, they can get mixed up with the Latino community as well. So they blend in quite well with them. People can't really tell the difference. It's funny because Latino people will go up to Arab and start speaking Spanish and then the Arab will say, I don't speak. Uh, no, no. And um, the Latino people will yell at them and then they get mad at the Arabs for not knowing Spanish. Because they think they're Latino. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny, mashallah. So, um, so do you know any other reverts as well who are like yourself, who are mothers and, um, you know, from American, obviously, culture and stuff like that, and their carbies um, having any similar experiences? Um, I believe my friend in um, Texas had a similar experience. Um, she's in Nakabi, and her firstborn daughter, um, was born via cesarean section okay. and um she, she it was found out through investigation later on that the doctor basically forced her into a c-section i don't know if it was because she was muslim or something like that and she just wanted to get off the doctor wanted to get off work i don't know what it was but the doctor was scheduled to be off at 10 mm -hmm. p.m and the baby was born via quote-unquote emergency c-section at 9 45 and then the doctor left oh, at 10. Uh, and it's funny because um you know this is something that's um i've spoken to another sister about recently and i mean she she's from the uk and she was saying that it's something that in the B, um black and ethnic minority community that is something very common that um you know the death rate is higher 
um, in America mm -hmm. and in the UK because and she said one of the things that that happens is that people get rushed into you know or pushed into getting cesareans and things like that and that, that mm -hmm. really especially here in the US yeah subhanallah so it's really it can be really quite dangerous mm -hmm. and it forces women like my friend who now she's afraid of hospitals and inshallah goes well she's alhamdulillah pregnant with her second and she's planning a home birth now even though she had complications the first time because she's mm -hmm. just too petrified of being talked out of or forced into a procedure she didn't want of course of course subhanallah that's that's obviously one of the negative side effects isn't it because i mean we if we don't trust the um you know the doctors or the medical community then you know we will suffer as well when we do need them because mm -hmm. you know we don't know of, of ourselves like how to maybe take care of our you know health to that extent especially when there's very serious issues of exactly i totally agree yeah. is that your baby playing uh, no, I'm patting his butt. Oh, right, you're patting him. Okay, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> 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 so is there, is there any, um, have you have you been doing any kind of traveling at all? I mean, obviously your baby's still very small, but have you had any experience traveling, like being pregnant um, with the niqab or, you know, even since oh, your baby's been yes. born traveling? And what's that been like? I've visited... Um, even since I've been married, um, I visited my hometown um, in Nevada, uh, on the west coast of the USA. Okay. And uh, that's thousands of miles away. It's like going from the UK to Germany, basically. Okay. Um, and I was about 16 weeks pregnant the second time I went. And they were completely nice, 100%. I have to give it to the airlines, 100% respectful and understanding and they wanted to know more about the macabre in an interest interested way versus a fearful way alhamdulillah so you traveled when the macabre without any issues zero alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah and what about since since being a new mother who's wearing the macabre have you faced any kind of abuse at all for wearing the the niqab, apart from obviously what well it was I suppose if I don't know if you term that as abuse, but apart from that negative experience with the um the healthcare worker when she asked you if you speak English, have you faced any other kind of negativity like that or any kind of abuse? I have, but to be honest, I let it go so I forget about them because mm -hmm. alhamdulillah, the way my parents raised me, I have very um when I know I'm not wrong and I'm not hurting anyone, I have no problem standing up for myself and voicing my opinion, as long as I know I'm not in the wrong. Yes. So when I am in those situations, I'm fully able to just look at them and explain why they're wrong. I do it in a respectful manner, of course. I never yell or curse or nothing like that, but I'm able to respectfully stand up for myself. Alhamdulillah. And that's really important, I think, because obviously when you do wear the niqab, people, may think that you know as obviously we've all been through that experience they think that maybe we can't speak english or they may think that you know we are these passive kind of timid women who are repressed you know all these kind of stereotypes you know that we can't speak up for ourselves so it's important i think to to do that as well to help to clear some of these misconceptions or at least for ourselves exactly. so we can take an advantage of 
Exactly. I can't agree more. Especially here in America, where you hear the term, go back to your own country a lot. I've had that. I had someone tell me that in my hometown where my mother was raised, where my dad's been since the seventies. So I just look at the gentleman and I said, sir, where are you from? And he told another city somewhere here in America. And I was like, really? Because I was born and raised here. I went to such and such schools. My mom went to such and such schools. My dad's been here for 40 plus years. Mm -hmm. My grandpa was a founding member of the community. Why don't you go back to where you're from, sir? And I turned and walked away. (laughs) Mashallah. Mashallah. He must have been shocked. That's such such a beautiful and clear answer. Wow. I would have loved to see the expression on his face. <laughs> Me as well, but I didn't look back for a more dramatic effect. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. That's it. You say what you need to say and move on. Subhanallah. So um, since since being um, um, on, in your pregnancy journey as well, okay, when you was having that, um, was it pre, is it prenatal care? It's, pre, it's prenatal care before yeah. you have the baby right? you know it's been such a long time since I've had any kids yeah so <laughs> I can't even remember this whole process yeah. but subhanallah like when you was yes. um, in that in that time frame um did you find that you know was there any kind of obstacles for you or did you find that there was any kind of um you know strange things that you had to navigate that you feel maybe if you had not been a woman who covers um, would have experienced and, um, I think it's mainly with the heat mm-hmm. if I wasn't a covering Muslim I wouldn't have had such a problem staying covered yes uh, thing, but I really haven't had that many issues to be honest alhamdulillah I'm very very blessed and lucky alhamdulillah so that where you live um what's the climate like is it hot throughout the year or do you have like four seasons as well or so that's what I'm just curious. <laughs> what where I'm from originally in the U.S. it's a desert 100% desert but it oh. also has mountains wow. like very tall mountains mm-hmm. like where I grew up in my childhood we got 20 feet of snow in one year wow but then in the summer, it gets up to like 110. In yeah. some parts of my home state, it gets up to 120 Wow. Fahrenheit. I, I'm not quite sure what that is Celsius. So yes, we get all four seasons there. And here in Ohio, we do too. It was very hot and now it's snowy and rainy. Okay, okay. So you just had to, you happen to have a, a, a pregnancy during the summer months. Yes, ma'am. And it's funny because I was told I would need medical intervention to have kids. Right. Why? And I had tried with my previous husband. I get ovarian cysts. I don't have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. I don't have that, but I just grow really big ones. Okay. So they told me I'd need medical medical intervention. Mm. So I didn't take any precautions to prevent pregnancy when I first got married since I'd never been able to get pregnant before I'd Alhamdulillah, it was a complete surprise, but within five weeks of getting married, we got pregnant, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, it just, it's amazing, isn't it? When it's, when it's right, then it, it just happens, isn't it? It's Allah who, Allah who gives, you know, Alhamdulillah, that's amazing. Exactly. 
Subhanallah, that really is amazing. It was it was the qadr of Allah, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. Exactly. And that's what helped me feel safety in my marriage mm-hmm. now, knowing that I've tried to have a child since I was 19. And that was almost 10 years ago. And alhamdulillah, randomly with somebody I knew for a month and a half, mm-hmm. I got pregnant, alhamdulillah. Subhanallah, subhanallah, alhamdulillah. And oh, that's, that's the blessings of, you know, having that halal um, marriage. And, you know, mashallah, you, you took the time as well, obviously, to, you know, as you said, to do the, the, the self-work, you know, to work on yourself and build yourself as a Muslim before entering into, you know, this new marriage, alhamdulillah. And look at the, the barakah that's been given already, alhamdulillah. May Allah, um, you know, may Allah bless your marriage and um, bless you with many righteous and pious children, I mean. I mean, thank you so much. Mashallah. Is there anything else that you want to talk about related to, you know, that from your experiences like that are new that you'd like to share? Yes, I just because of what I went through and I don't want other sisters to, because I had a traumatic birth experience. I was in labor for 36 hours total. Wow. Alhamdulillah. Um, and go I, to any sister wanting the babies or pregnant now, Yes, go into your birth with a plan, but know that it's all in all our hands and it's going to go his way. And if you think that way, you'll deal with less trauma post-birth because I didn't think that my baby would end up in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. And it that really messed up my bonding with him. It took me until he was two months old to really fully love him, to be honest. And I know that's a very taboo subject for people to say, but you're not alone sisters in that type of thing if you have bonding issues with your baby as well but go into birth with like a plan that's very loose that's all I have to say in order to have an easier one yes I think that's important because you know so many times as women we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to you know you know have what we believe is going to be like the perfect life even or you know the perfect family situation and it doesn't always go the way that we planned you know Allah is the best planner so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, something I've, you know, mentioned to sisters recently as women, I think one of the things that Allah has blessed us with is that we are naturally adaptable. Um, but I think society and the pressures of society can make us feel that we need to be one particular way or doing something in one particular way, um, you know, and copying other people as well. When we look, you know, when we look around, we see certain people do things a certain way that's working for them, but it doesn't mean that we should be doing exactly the same. SubhanAllah, because just looking at or our, that uh, you're that or that you're less than exactly. because you do have struggles. Because I've met so many new moms that have postpartum issues and they warn you about postpartum issues, but they don't get nitty gritty because it's so taboo. Yeah type of thing so I would recommend to ask those nitty-gritty questions in order to better prepare yourself because they do not warn you about postpartum rage or anything like that yeah because I mean our bodies go through so many changes and I think um you know that's one of the things I for me reflecting as a woman I think that when I when I when I think about the amount of changes that a woman's body goes through and the fact that we're constantly seems to be changing, you know, even exactly. if, even, even on a monthly basis, when if we get our periods, for example, you know, this is something, you know, it it can affect us in different ways, you know, 
from one month to the next, we could be the same or we could be different. So there's so many things. And I think that we need to have that, like em embrace that and become more flexible in accepting, you know, that this is how we are. And then if we do that, then it makes it easier for us to be able to move forward in more positive ways to be able to deal with those, um, you know, changes that we're experiencing rather than trying to force ourselves to be you know, one specific kind of, um, you know, way or doing something a specific type of way. We need to be more flexible, inshallah, because that would help us to hopefully be um, happier and more content. Society is norm. Exactly. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah, so it's really interesting, that point. Because, like, literally, exactly. there's so many things. Knowing that it's all going to be okay. Yes, yes, inshallah. And there's nothing wrong with doing something different or having a day off or, you know, taking time to just look, you know, for yourself, you know, when you need to, because you're just feeling really run down, asking for help as well. That's another big one. A lot of us don't ask for help mm -hmm. when we need it. Yeah, do, do you have, like, apart from your husband, do you have any kind of, um, you know, family support or, um, you know, support from relatives or friends even that, you know, that help you with your baby when no. you break? No, ma'am. I, I do it alone or my husband when he can help. Alhamdulillah. My, I don't have family here and I don't have any friends that live close to me at all. They're hundreds of miles away usually. May Allah make it easy for you, sister. Seriously, it's so difficult, especially when you have your first child. And I think that, and this is a, a common problem in mostly Western countries um, that, you know, when we do have our kids, our sisters, like, and women in general, all types of women, but it's not just Muslim women this affects, but we, most of the time we're having to do everything yeah. by ourselves, you know. If we're, if, if we're blessed to have, you know, good husbands, um, you know, then Alhamdulillah, we get help from them. But obviously, if, if the husbands are working, then, you know, you can spend many hours in the day just alone with yourself and the baby. And when you do need a break and you're feeling exhausted, there's nobody else to actually, you know, kind of give yourself a little load off, you know? Exactly. And it is okay. That's another thing I would like to tell sisters. Even if the baby's screaming at the top of their lungs, they'll live. Put them in a safe spot. And what I do, I put in headphones and I step out into the hall and I sit in a chair and I have a full cup of coffee and I let him scream it out when I'm at that at my wits end moment you know I put in headphones so I can't hear him crying I know he's in a safe spot where he won't get hurt he's dry he's fed but I need mommy moments it's okay to do that it is okay if you have to do that once a week once a month uh -huh. absolutely yeah because it doesn't make you a bad mom Absolutely. I, you know, I used to do the same thing, to be honest, like, you know, because, uh, you know, I was raising my kids by myself. I mean, my at the time when I was married to my previous husband, you know, it, it wasn't like I didn't have any help, you know, so it was just literally me. So when I was taking care of mm -hmm. it, like, you know, these are things I had to deal with. And, you know, there was periods when he wasn't actually in the country as well. So I had to like literally do everything by myself. And it, it does get stressful, you know. You sometimes you do need um, a time out, and I I felt that even um, me, like in that time, I felt that I was doing a good job, you know. I didn't feel that I, I I did my best to try to keep like stress levels low and stuff like that, because I know that obviously stress can be so negative, 
Mm-hmm. And if we let it like get to us, you don't try to control your stress levels, then it affects everything that you do, basically. So I did like, you know, I think even that time I was making a conscious effort to avoid being stressed. But so that's why I, I used to come up with these little, um, you know, kind of um, methods of, you know, just just keeping calm. So I used to do that as well. I would just put I would, I would do exactly what you said. I would put my daughter, I just leave her in a safe space. Usually that would be her cot in her room. And I'll just put the Quran on there for her and just leave her there with it while I had to go and just, you know, have a little bit of me time just to, you know, not feel like kind of overburdened and, you know, anxious. Exactly. Exactly. And it's okay because the doctors and stuff tell you it's okay to do that too. But they tell you count to 10 or take five minutes. If you need 30 to 45 minutes by yourself and the baby's screaming, they will live. Because you need to make sure you're okay so you can properly care for them. You don't want to bring that type of energy around them because that's only going to make them more fussy. Definitely. Definitely. I agree. I agree. That's really important. Because babies are very sensitive to emotions. You know, people don't realize that. And I think that as a mother, when you when you're angry, when you're stressed, if you hold your child, even even during the pregnancy stages, when you have that kind of stress and, you know, negative emotions, if you're feeling a lot of that during your pregnancy, it affects the baby. And people mm-hmm. don't think about and it. And it, it can affect their development, uh, cognitively even. Yes, you can't So, um, sister, do you have any kind of um, final advice for um sisters in general mothers um nakabi sisters who are new mothers for example do you have any kind of um final advice to them or any other things that you'd like to mention yeah a parting advice is muslim women and moms too as long as you focus on allah and pleasing him your life will be much easier because i found after i got married this time that when life is most stressful i just say Allah guide me closer to you, Allah guide me closer to you. I have to say it in English because I don't know Arabic, but I just say that over and over and over again and my stress just disappears. So when you're stressed, just close your eyes and give it to Allah because it will save your life. I swear on Allah. Inshallah, inshallah, mashallah. Thank you so much for talking to us again and sharing more of your experiences with us, especially now in this new um, phase of your life. It's been really um, beneficial, Alhamdulillah. I'm sure that a lot of the sisters will identify with many of the things that you've been talking about. Because like you said, there's so many things that, you know, as women, we do go through. And, um, you know, this is common to all women, not just Muslim women. But um, as mm-hmm. Muslim women, we, you know, there's maybe some differences with certain things that we need or the way we deal with certain things as well. So, and, and mm-hmm. as well, the support systems, you know, that, uh, that may or may not be in place. Um, for us when we're trying to when we're going through these kind of testing times in life so it's, it's good that you've um, you know made light of some of these things and inshallah if there's any sisters that are listening now um, to this please leave um, you know leave uh, comments in the um, you know comment section we'd like to hear from you do you have you had any kind of similar experiences because I'm sure there's a lot of sisters who have had similar experiences whether it's um, related to what Sister Gillian mentioned about being married or getting married, trying to get married, or um, being a Muslim mother, basically, and, you know, having these kind of stresses of raising a child by yourself, or not even just by yourself, but even if you are married, 
and you don't have that extra kind of support around you from um, relatives or family or friends um you know because obviously that is quite difficult and trying um, itself because yeah you're one person and you can become really quite overstretched so alhamdulillah um, if you have any kind of um you know comments on that then inshallah let us know jazakallah sister jillian thank you so much thank you may allah bless you and put much barakah in your um in your family and bless you with many righteous and pious children amen Anyway, thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa